could talk last, holidays. Last time we did, I actually have a decent topic that I'm going to write a blog post on. All right. Well, this is Go Additive Podcast, <laughs> episode one of the Go Additive Podcast, episode who knows how many attempts we've made at this. Doing a good job. We're learning each time. We're getting better. We're learning each time. But that's what this is all about learning about e printing and other topics together. So I don't know what's on the docket today. I I did some prints this week that would be worth talking about, but what do you have cooking in the the blogosphere? You know, there's just there's a lot going on right now. Um I feel like I don't know, maybe the economy is a good place to start, but you feel like more or less people are taking a dive into entrepreneurship right now. More mm. small startups that are like, hey, I have this widget or these widgets or this idea, and I'm finally just going to do it. Like maybe unemployment could potentially be the catalyst for that or... um Maybe. I don't know. I think I have seen an uptick of people coming to us with ideas and, or questions about getting parts made, getting parts printed and maybe redesigning them, etc. Those always trickle in, you know, over the years. But I think I actually have seen a small uptick. Is that an indicator of something greater happening? I'm not sure, but I have seen an uptick for for certain. I just wonder because I I've noticed too. I've had a few calls lately that customers are like, well, have this thing. And we talked about it a little yesterday. I have this idea. Oh yeah. Um, and they come to us almost as like consultants, like you guys have something that'll work for me to make this thing. And I think the answer is typically yes. But what I've struggled with lately is is when you try to to tell someone that's brand new about 3D printing solutions, you have FDM, right? Which we know is like the utility workhorse, you know, jigs and fixtures, uh, j just quick space claim type designs, but usable and real thermoplastics. And then you have the other side and that's Polyjet and that's your high detail high resolution, um, gets you that prototype that looks like the real thing. And I think when people generally come to us with that limited understanding, they see all that as one thing. And I find it difficult to like break it down and yeah. section it off. Like, yeah, we have flexible materials on this side, FDM, and we have flexible materials on this side, Polyjet. And I don't know that they're differentiating the two. So what makes the conversation difficult, I think, is that neither side has come to an agreement as to what is the end goal here, because they come at you with just some basic questions mm -hmm. and you're not sure how invested you want to be in that yeah. conversation, right? Because... You know, you could spend two hours or more walking them through the decision making process and then analyzing their design for their goals and advising them on maybe some changes that they could make. But do you really want to do that? You almost have to come to an understanding of, hey, this is a strong agreement. I'm going to get this made. I want to be it to be made by this time at this quantity. How can I make that happen? But you never get that level of commitment early on. Mm -hmm. And I think that complicates the conversation quite a bit. Yeah. Because what ends up happening, I feel like, is you start to ask them some questions and they don't really know the answers. And you're like, how how much time am I going to spend vetting this when you know their budget could be limited too? Yeah. Like they want to do it all solution, which maybe we offer, but that's a million dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. In their mind, 
they were maybe coming to us thinking 15 to 20 K. Right. And so that's a shock, (laughs) shock factor for sure. Right. It's, it's a tough one. And that type of consulting and that type of service printing is not really our core business either. So they come to us for advice, which we are willing to give for the most part, Mm -hmm. but we're not usually the person to carry them through that entire process, which means we're probably not the right person to advise them get go because you want to be working with someone who's actually going to be, sometimes we make parts, but it's not our core business. What do you mean someone who's making the parts? Like you want to work with the end user? Yeah. So for example, I had someone approach starting two months ago and we're still kind of about redesigning a part for 900. Mm -hmm. It's a large part. And it put me in a weird situation because we're not going to print that part. So I could be giving him some advice, but it's very likely that whoever ends up printing that part is going to have their own set of opinions on what the part should look like, how to strip costs out of that part, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's honestly in his best interest for me to push that on to someone else because he's going to end up having that conversation twice. He's actually already had it once before. So with a vendor who could have printed it, that's pretty well established and knows their stuff. So why they came to us after that, I'm not sure. Maybe he, they didn't like what they were doing. This is, this is someone who just wants a one part? Uh, that's not very clear, but yeah, I think so. It's, I think it's just a one-off. So he could be going, like you're saying, he could be going to a service bureau having this discussion with them on creating this part. Just so everyone knows, the F900 is our biggest FDM platform. And this part essentially filled it up entirely. And there was a, just the design of it required a a lot of support material. And so it was probably a seven to 10 day build. So he was quoted for that. And the other vendor, I think, made mention that, hey, with some redesigns, you could probably shed some time off that, but didn't go any further than that. And so then they come to us asking, how we, would you do that? And even to answer that question requires a whole level of discussion about what is the part? What is it used for? Yeah. What's your intent? Why aren't you doing it this way or this way or this way outside of 3D printing? It's... It's a big discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's... it's <laughs> exactly. So that's kind of like my point is is you share the frustration a little bit different in a different vein with that particular situation. But, you know, at, at least people are coming to you generally. Like that was maybe a service bureau type situation. But most of the time we're getting people that want this technology to help them with their solution or with their the creation of their part. Um, yesterday I had a guy come to me and let's just say he's in the fashion industry. Um, he fashion changing as quick as it does. They're having to come out with quarterly designs. So pretty crazy. You know, they're coming up with, with real products every quarter that go out to major, um, names that we know their household uh, popular fashion warehouses or stores or whatever you want to call them um, and more high-end I was shocked to hear that they still design in 2d so he showed me some of the technical drawings and by technical I, I use that term loosely because there were no dimensions on these drawings it's purely it was like a right side view, front view, and back view. It may have had a top view. I don't even know that they had all the views. I, I I tend to think there were just two views on this on this drawing, and it's like how much is lost in translation, right? Because they're basically drawing these up, sending them overseas, having them prototyped, finish, color 
model, uh, everything's completed overseas and then sent back. Four to five week lead time, they get the part back, and so many times this guy's frustrated because all of his design intent was lost. Um, and he's coming us to us for an additive solution, which we probably can offer, right? And right now you might be thinking, well, Polyjet, right? We can get him the color material finish that he wants. Is it an accessory? Is it jewelry? Is it what type of? It's footwear. Okay. okay. It's footwear. So um, I didn't want to get too specific. I'm but, just trying to but, picture what we would be. Yeah, printing. it's it's footwear. And so actually it's probably pretty important that, that you mentioned that it is footwear because you have some rigid components on a shoe you also have very, very flexible components and there's some complexity in there in shoe design. And this guy wants a do it all solution. He wants the color material finish type of prototype, but then he wants this thing wearable. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, we can probably make a wearable prototype. You know, it's not going to last very long, whatever. Um, but then the conversation just instantly goes to, no, I'm talking, I want these production level. Here's my struggle. I create one shoe design and I've got to create 10 different sizes mm -hmm. in every design. And it's, they're trying to keep overhead low because now these major um, stores, they don't buy 30,000 units like they used to. They, in fact, they're almost like, drop shippers now uh sometimes they don't buy any of them if if it's online like department stores yes wow so a lot of these department stores are online only with certain products these shoes sometimes fall into that category huh so they're not buying a ton and so now all the risk is transferred from them to the manufacturers uh and designers and so this guy is, he wants to do it all solution at a reasonable cost. We never even got to figures because it's like, we're talking grand scale. Here's what I, here's what I struggle with. Here are my um, problems right now. Here's the industry standards. I'm learning a bunch about it because I'm not in the fashion industry, obviously, uh, I'm wearing a Three Wolf Moon shirt right now. I was going to comment on that shirt. <laughs> I had just noticed it once we sat down. It is glow in the dark. The wolf shirt. Nice. <laughs> but I, so I'm not, you know, familiar with that industry. So he taught me a bunch of stuff about it, which I was happy to hear. But their struggles aren't too much different than everyone else, right? Like, I want to streamline my prototyping process. We had to mention to him that this, these additive technologies don't scale very well, like a lot of production methods, um, something like injection molding. However, where they shine is when we've got to make multiple iterations in a short amount of time. It's exactly what he's doing. We just didn't have like a one fit solution for this guy. And the reason I kind of brought up the economy um, and startups is because the struggles they're going through aren't much different. Uh, you've got people with limited budgets um this guy is in more of a oh a more of a concrete state in terms of he's matured to this point and now the industry is changing out from under him so it's forcing him into looking into to some it's forcing him to adapt mm -hmm. and to modernize maybe a little more is he an independent designer yeah yes but he has clientele that use him consistently yeah and so he's used to doing what he's been mm. doing he learned just enough about additive manufacturing to form like an idea of what he hopes it is but he didn't learn enough to realize that it's unlikely that he could achieve what he wants or he saw one too many carbon commercial adidas commercials He'd seen it all because yeah. he even brought up the mesh, the fabric mesh. Uh-huh. You've seen, um, I think, Form Labs, uh, some of these other SL printer companies have 
created these like they're rigid materials, but they're alive, mm-hmm. right? Quote unquote alive. Like that that mesh material flows like fabric, but it's not. Yeah. But the footwear industry intrigues me. Um it was one of the industries that really started to show interest along with the rest of the world in range. And at one point I traveled to Portland, which is footwear design. You have Nike there, Under Armour, Adidas, all these competing companies right there. And, and they they share designers. And of course it's cutthroat competition. And I did a guest lecture at a footwear design school called pencil. He's founded by this guy named Dwayne Edwards. Cool dude. He worked for Nike um, on the Jordan brand. I've, I've, I've watched a documentary with this guy in it. I'm, I'm almost positive. Dwayne Edwards? Yeah. And he started this school. He left Nike eventually and started this school called Pencil. And doing that lecture, I've, I learned a lot just through interacting with his students. It's like this immersive design school. And I was just fascinated by footwear is sort of this meshing of art and manufacturing very multidisciplinary yes and sort of mixed media too totally you have textiles you have injection molding you have soft goods and hard goods you have all sorts of things i had a pair of gary payments all these finishes yeah lots of finishes too. different jeans materials uh, colors shoes growing up had a ratcheting system like you would find on a like a ski boot ski boot yeah it was awesome and of course you got the air soles you know remember the pump the pumps oh yeah for sure and the lights remember la gear lights carl malone this guy worked for la gear did he yeah that was like his first well at least according to his linkedin um Dwayne edwards yeah Dwayne Edwards started at LA Gear. He moved up fast, man. He went from LA Gear from 89 to 92. Then he went to Skechers. Uh, he worked from 92 to 99 and then made the jump to senior footwear designer at Nike and then to Jordan huh. um, till 2011. Yeah, it would, it would be interesting to reconnect with him and, and ask if if he undertook any additive initiatives and if he had to hear more about those because he was just investigating it at the time. All of those major shoe brands are using additive to various degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of polyjet printing. Yep. Um, not only... And this predates the color. Using polyjet for cast urethane molds and that and also just non-color prototypes. Yeah. So this guy, it's interesting you said that because the first thing he mentioned in our conversation is I know some of these major manufacturers are using some technology. He didn't know what it was, most likely polyjet, to create molds mm-hmm. for injection molding prototypes. And, you know, a soft material for a prototype doesn't have to be wearable for 10 years. It could just be. Yeah. Um. But that's how our conversation started. And then it went to this. He's seen all the advertisements of all these additive technologies. Adidas had some sort of agreement with Carbon to print a low thousands, like a low four figure number of shoes, three or four thousand pairs of shoes, something like that. And Carbon was able to do it. And I've seen people wearing the shoes, not out in the general public because no one has them, but you go to like a 3d printing conference back when those happened <laughs> pre COVID, um, you'd find one or two people wearing them. Cause they're sort of a novelty thing in the industry, but very, very, very far from being a legitimate application for additive. I would say. Yeah. So I guess to bring it full circle, I, 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 I struggled to describe to someone like that. Hey, you know, we do have solutions, but we're not there yet. You know, we yeah. we don't have a do it all. 
we have one that does a lot and there's overlap right mm-hmm. like if you're thinking um there there's a technology that might be good in that area that overlaps so um it could work for you to have one printer yeah you hate to crush someone's enthusiasm right sure but you do have to redirect the enthusiasm and this is something that will recur this will be a recurring conversation for you over the next number of years. Um, they have a pie in the sky idea because they don't fully understand the manufacturing process and the limitations associated with it. But they have enthusiasm and they probably have some business model that could work, but additive plays a different role and plan. Yeah. It's challenging. It's very challenging. And we obviously understand probably more than most uh, standards and how one technology can benefit you and another won't. I, the startups and the people with limited experience and these smaller budgets, you know, sometimes they'll come straight out and say, Hey, I have this much money. I'm looking to buy a machine. What one's the best for me? Or they might have an idea already of what is best for them, and it's the wrong direction. Someone steered them wrong a little bit. Mm-hmm. You try to do a course correction, and I'm fine with telling someone if it's better to spend that money on a CNC machine. Yeah. Or, you know, we, d- we don't have a machine that can do full color and what you're looking for, right. you know. Uh, but, man, I've just been... I feel like there's a lot of that going on right now. I've felt it more than usual. So I wondered if you'd kind of dealt with similar situations. Yeah, it's not overwhelming, but there is an increase, I would say. So let's talk about Christmas or Xmas or the holidays. Um, We're talking about lights lately. (laughs) Yeah. So we're doing some cool projects with the new space that we might want to show our listeners at some point. Uh-huh. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there? With some of the experiments? Yeah. I, I okay. think it's pretty cool. Okay. Well, we have these ideas for uh, different signage and light displays. In fact, I, th- I think we really haven't even explored a lot of what will end up in the space particularly in part displays. I have quite a few ideas on displaying parts effectively, but we're talking more about just making our, our goal is to turn the new lab into a movie set, mm-hmm. right? Something yep. that is visually pleasing and not a movie set, more like a studio, like, yeah, like studio, a, studio B studio, <laughs> <laughs> some sort of studio, studio A, Right? Sure. Uh, I don't know. But Studio AM. Ah. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, a studio... Anyway, we're planning on increasing the amount of video content that we're going to be doing in the lab for various reasons. And with the new space comes this renewed initiative to make a a showroom that people want to visit. A destination showroom with not only technology, but also parts and stories. And just, we want somebody who visits either in person or digitally to just feel alive with that enthusiasm about additive that we were talking about. So part of that is through color and lights, I think is the direction that we're going. And I come from um, a warehouse that I used to live in that had a big neon sign. And when I say big, it was probably one of the biggest neon signs that you've seen outside of like a commercial sign. This sign was 20 feet wide and four (laughs) feet tall. And it was in real neon. I had these uh, 20 or 30,000 kilo, 20 or 30 kilovolt transformers running the neon. Oh my gosh. And it was so cool. What was the sign? It said tip top club. (laughs) It was uh, actually, it came from a movie set. Um, here in Utah, one of the shows, 
that would film here locally was um, not Seventh Heaven, but a show like that. Something it, you'd see on like the Hallmark Channel. It was on network TV. It, oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. What's uh, the name of that show? It's like Seventh Heaven. Maybe it is Seventh Heaven. I don't think it is. But I lived in this warehouse space that had three or four units, and each of us had some of these big neon signs because I think a previous tenant worked on that set. So I become infatuated with these neon signs. And so we're trying to emulate neon signs with LEDs. We're going about it in a few different ways. I'm I'm specifically trying to do some neon signs, and you're doing more of like a a downsized commercial mm-hmm. text yes. signage. Yeah. So the neon thing is really cool. the The thing I'm trying to do is pretty pretty basic, generic. But I think one thing I was thinking about with this signage and stuff and dressing up a workspace. We we work in a space that's like reasonably outfitted right now, but it doesn't like you said it's n- it's not a studio set up here. The intent with this new place is to make it have a little pizzazz. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, that's the word that I was saying in my mind <laughs> for sure. Because we 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 want that razzle dazzle effect yeah. when when people see it on film, yeah. like. Of course, in person, we want that. We always want that. And I know you don't think that about our current setup uh, when you walk into it, but I think it still does. You're just, you've been here so much longer. I'm jaded. Yeah. But to me, it, it still has that. And it's coming from the parts and the machines for you. Yeah. And we have good lighting. I mean, granted, the ceilings aren't super high. The lighting is not good. <laughs> it's good. And it's office that's lighting. That's the brightest space in this entire building. It is bright. That's what I that's what I mean. So maybe to your standard, it isn't you spectacular, could say, but it's all relative. I don't know. It's well lit, but it's not good light. <laughs> OK, so <laughs> anyway, with this new space, the idea is to have Tyler's standards of good lighting met and but also the razzle dazzle effect. So could it be said that 3D printing this is another use case for it. Like if you're already printing parts for whatever, um, obviously you're probably not going to buy a 3D printer just for this. Yeah. But here's an opportunity. Add some razzle dazzle. Sure. For little to no cost. Like that sure. neon sign in your office, how much do you think that cost? Well, Mon- or, or not your office, but your warehouse. Yeah. Oh, that one to yeah. build it? Yeah. Oh, man. Thousands and thousands. I don't know. I've never priced out a big neon custom neon sign like that. 10,000 plus, I would guess. So, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Now, with the advent of LED lighting and its popularization, its cost effectiveness. Now, what do you think a sign like that could cost? That Mm, size? I don't know. Probably 30% of what you might guess. And do you think the additive could be implemented in that? In parts of it. You know, my sign that I'm working on right now is small. And so additive will be the sole manufacturing process. On a larger sign, I could imagine using additive for portions of it, but incorporating... Was it touched by an angel? Touched by an angel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I got it. Nice. Sorry. It it is like a Hallmark type show. Um. Is that what it was for? It came from an episode of Touched by an Angel, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if anyone outside of Utah even watched this show. I don't know. I, my mom did, for sure. Yeah. I remember <laughs> she definitely did. Oh, that's funny. It was on from 94 to 2003. Almost almost made it a decade. The, the upshot here is that 3D printing encourages you to be creative and to pursue creative endeavors. And I think that's the crux of talking about here. Yeah. It gives you opportunity. Yeah. So, 
but you have to take advantage of it, right? Like you could just as easily sit in this bare space that you're in um, with or without drywall, whatever. Sure. Just a very basic space. It's not going to do anything for you. But on the other hand, if you turn some of that downtime on that 3D printer when it is, hey, I know I have an open three hours, four hours, and you do some design work and you make something. Now this offers you the opportunity to do it at right. a reasonable cost. Well, we have people here in the office who have no CAD experience are starting to come to understand that they have access to these tools and it's starting to get their creative juices flowing. And I've seen it multiple times. The, f- the first time that they're involved in creating something and blow their minds because mm-hmm. previously it was something that they just viewed as other people can do that. I can't do it. And 3D printing lowers the boundary between not creating and creating. And it brings more people into that creator's base. Yeah, which is big time because it's, I don't know if it's universal. It seems like it is, but creation is like a universal want, need, desire. Um, Maybe not everybody is totally Mm -hmm. creative. I'm not saying you have to be Vincent Van Gogh or Bob Ross and just yeah. be able to paint this beautiful landscape on canvas, but creativity can come in so many different forms and we need it like there, as a species. Physiologically, there is something happening in a human's brain when they are in the process of being creative and something similar and also just really appealing and satisfying is Finishing that creative process and enjoying the beauty of what you created. Both of those human, the human body rewards itself for doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what's happening, but it is a physiological thing. For sure. Maybe it's dopamine, maybe it's serotonin, <laughs> but there's something. The act of being creative and then finishing And then also a component of that is the social aspect of people appreciating your work. Hopefully they appreciate it. But that's a, that's a, another component of the satisfaction that comes from Asia. You know what I'm thinking of? Uh, gingerbread houses. Yeah. Do you remember like in like elementary school, you know, December was coming around Mm -hmm. or, you know, whether it was an art portion of your class or whatever, but everybody had to make one. And you got X amount of, of, of frosting and get enough gingerbread to make the walls of a four-walled house with a roof. And yeah, but you can do that in one class, one sitting. Mm-hmm. And then you all just stand back, put your hands on your hips and gaze at these like yeah. little creations of yours. And whose is better? Yeah. You know, whose is, <laughs> no, who's is the best? The fascinating thing about especially like a young mind and, and particularly when, when we were that age and we did that is that we have very limited access to what had been done before. And so the, the level of your creativity in that moment is quite small. However, as you're exposed to other ideas and other examples of work, they act as multipliers, I think Mm. for your creative process and We've always done that throughout history, right? We've always built and and stood on the shoulders of those before us. Yeah. Particularly now where you have instant access to like all of these examples of anything that you'd want to do. It's Google. With Google. Yeah. Just the internet in general. Uh, you're still creative, but you're at a whole other level than you were the most advanced people thousand years ago your your ideas at the age of seven would blow their minds right because you have i mean i just watched uh oh the bill and ted movie the new (laughs) one watched it yeah have you seen it i haven't seen it yet i wanted to watch it is it good 
It's so good. And it made me wish it was real because I don't think this gives away the story, but don't spoil it. They have to assemble the world's greatest band and they can time travel. Right. Mm -hmm. So what would you do? Get the best leads, best guitarist, best bassist, best. Think bigger. Like you have access to all of human history. Well, yeah, I can go. You can can go back in time. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I, I can go if I want you know, Tina Turner as my lead vocalist, yeah. I can go grab her. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's limitless. If I need a really good pianist. Yeah. I could go back to Beethoven. Yeah. I mean, exactly. He wouldn't probably like the style of music, but, but music like create music is a creative process and music. There is something about the human body that we appreciate the mathematical cleanliness of music right so you do have different styles but just imagine if you really could do that and you're say you go back and you you pick up beethoven right and you let him listen to herbie hancock or some like <laughs> stevie wonder mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and imagine bringing them into the same room oh my god I'm actually getting the chills. Look at that. Look at that. Imagine that, that create the creativity between them. Oh, wish you could do that. It's almost unfair that we were born right now. We have the ability to listen to perfect recordings of music that was scored hundreds of years ago. And we can listen to it at the click of a mouse. And we have access to all of this information, whereas Beethoven, you're not hearing Beethoven unless you travel, unless first you, you're aware of him. Yep. You hear him contemporary, like contemporaneous. And, and then you travel. Where's Beethoven from? Vienna, maybe Germany. Yeah. Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah. Is he German? I think so. Is Mozart Vienna? I don't know. Anyway, you're traveling. It's been a long time since yeah. I was in music class. They, You're traveling and you're purchasing tickets. That was not accessible to even small percentage of people at the time. And now I have access to both. And then, but a human right now can listen to both Herbie Hancock and Beethoven and meld the two together, fuse their styles together and create something completely new. 3D printing is kind of the same way. Like, have all of this create creativity and you can see parts created for the shoe industry and you can see designs created for the automotive industry and like design giants in each and meld them and make something for a completely different industry. And you don't have to, you're not being chained down by the manufacturing process, at least for prototyping for sure. And to be able to hold something in your hand that melds everything that your creative mind could come up with and be able to actually see it and hold it in your hand is like super empowering. Yeah. Well, and that's what you were talking about before with being able to see someone experience that for the first time. Yeah. Um, one thing, maybe this kind of goes in with what you're saying. We're, I mean getting back to the the gingerbread thing it's like looking over your shoulder and seeing some kid building mm-hmm. a little white picket fence or something you think is cool on yeah. his and then you can start doing it yeah or vice versa he's looking at your competitive yeah and and but they can build off each other's ideas um one thing recently that i talked about in a class that i had was uh one of the major auto manufacturers here in the states used fdm technology mixed with uh, additional like steel bar to create this big um, user operated uh, hand lift. I think it was for a car door, Mm -hmm. but they stiffened the FDM chassis essentially by inserting a pause in the build and inserting this steel bar Mm -hmm. um, into the component. And then they went ahead and finished the build and now it's fully encapsulated in that chassis. So it looks like an FDM chassis on the outside. Internally though, it has some steel um, reinforcement. The the shoe guy I talked to, 
you know, the heel, for example, have you ever seen those really skinny heels, like something on like a stiletto or, yeah. or whatever? Um, that has a steel rod going through it. Like, hey, could we uh, could we print like an ABS um, heel? And right now we have to put a rod in it to make it strong enough. And I'm sitting here thinking of that. And I'm like, oh, we could, we could insert a pause. We could throw this in there, encapsulate it. And so it's kind of like that idea share mm -hmm. uh, that you kind of talked about and access to these different strategies and who would have thought there would have been any crossover from building a heel to wear right. versus a, a sort of manufacturing aid in a car plant. As the fashion industry started to investigate 3D printing, over this past decade, I really personally encouraged it and so happy that they were embracing it because we were learning so much about the technology. Having come from an engineering space, a primarily engineering technology, and then putting it in the hands of artists who had no concept of rules and no concept of what should not be possible. We're always trying to do things that the machines were never intended to do. And it pushed the hardware in a positive direction. It pushed the software into a positive direction. And we really benefited from it. And it, this gets into a deeper discussion about the value of arts in general and how Especially lately, you know, it's it's taken a backseat to science and technology and engineering. You always had STEM, but now more and more, actually more just within the last few years, you're starting to hear about STEAM initiatives and they've added the arts back into it because you can't forget the arts. It's important. It's what encourages creativity and you can't create SpaceX without creativity right? You can't invent new battery technology, creativity. And art fuels creativity. Oh, additive fuels art. Yeah. Because in most jobs, you have to have justifications, uh, getting back to your rules, and you have to have reasons to manufacture, which we always have a reason, even in additive, but you have to have a reason to invest in tooling or invest in the things it takes to create that. Well, your hands are kind of tied when a mold for your idea costs eight grand um, right. or right. 10 grand. Then that idea is just always floating in the background. Mm -hmm. um, it's always in your mind, or maybe it's fleeting, uh, but it comes and goes, and nothing was ever created from it. Where additive can be empowering to create art, to create ideas, right? Because now it doesn't—you don't have to worry so much about how, right? As long as it fits in that build platform, in that space, do it, right? And, you know, think about around your house. You have some photos, I'm sure, printed around your house. And those photos are very memorable. And you've attached some feelings to those photos. And you've attached some importance to those photos. How many thousands of photos have you taken that you never printed? You most can't, of them. Most of them. And you can't even remember them. Yep. Right? And all those photos just sit there digitally on the computer. The same thing is true for 3D CAD models, whether they're engineering models or artistic models that never left SolidWorks. They never left Maya. They never left Rhino. You forget about them, that's that. If you're able and fortunate enough to be able to 3D print them, they stick with you. They carry you through your profession. They carry you through your own personal development. They're that reminder to you that I can do that. And they're also what drives you to do better the next time. Yeah. I I mean, there's something to be said there for CAD, right? Part of the idea of CAD is to develop something in 3D and shut it down. 
prior, True. prior to building. True. Fail fast. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But there are things that I've had at previous employment elsewhere. Um, haven't made yet your ideas, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I agree. Art, art is extremely important and that's kind of like what we want to showcase with our new space. Yeah. We want to showcase that we can come up with these ideas and that's actually, I mean, I'm glad we had this conversation because a lot of it's relevant. Um, the sign that I want to make with lights in it, it's been made before mm-hmm. in a different version, but someone else has done it and they did a really good, good job. Good enough that it ended up on the internet somewhere. I saw it and I can then just looking at that formulate a plan to FDM print a sign that will look like, that. um, maybe that's a stepping stone. Because sure. it gives you the confidence of knowing like, hey, maybe this isn't a completely novel idea, but I figured out, I reverse engineered how to do it. I actually went through the steps of doing it. I was surprised by this step and this step and this step because I hadn't anticipated those and I would not have ever anticipated those until I actually did it. Now I feel like I'm prepared to do the next thing. Yeah. Well, and just to put a shameless plug in for additive on this aspect. I have uh, a router table at home, the router table. It's small and it's platform can be limiting, but it's absolutely capable of doing what we're trying to do here in building a chassis. Essentially each light is a chassis or, or, or each letter of this logo. Um, go engineer logo is essentially a chassis that holds some lighting components and, and maybe one of them holds a ballast or whatever, or part of a power supply, whatever it's mm-hmm. going to, it's going to have a job. Um, I was kind of dreading it almost thinking about having to do all the cam work yeah. to create chassis out of like layered plywood or MDF. Right. Uh, layered plywood looks really cool, uh, when it's all stacked up and really artsy. Um, but we didn't necessarily want that look in this instance. And I didn't want to have to go through figuring out, figuring out feeds and speeds and how, how fast I can actually run this um, router. Machining is a different world, right? And I'm not saying I'm this experienced machinist. When you're working with wood, there's a lot of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it would have been a pain in the butt. Dude, and plus, you, you plywood, with plywood, you freaking chip out your sign on the last letter Oh. And you're like, come on. <laughs> well, and there's no return of what would you call that? Where there's no scalability on the return of doing this thing because I'm not doing more than one. Mm-hmm. So uh, say I take an hour and a half in working with the cam software and getting this thing figured out to where it's machinable um, out of this wood, right? So by the time I'm finished... I could make adjustments that would make the next time I ran ran it, uh, maybe it runs 25% faster, 33% faster, but it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, so I gained this experience that's going to help me on my router next time if I take good notes, uh, which I won't. But yeah. uh, like that hour and a half doesn't ever get split between 100 parts or 10 parts or five parts even. It never gets split up. So that hour and a half is never recyclable. Right. Um, well, not never, but it's not recyclable versus additive. I, I can with the same CAD design, right? With the same step file, solid part file, whatever. With the same part file, I can take that into a slicing software, have it ready to output to print in minutes. Without any thought to feeds and speeds or, or temperature, any of that stuff. You just pump it out. Yeah. That's where it pays off. Is right. like I don't have to worry about recycling that energy. Also, you're more likely to have to make concessions in your design with CNC. Yeah. Right? Because you very easily with CNC, you could spend 80% of your time trying to tackle the last 20% of the details. And so you really start to question yourself what's worth it. And you start to compromise on your creative vision. You know, for example, 
in that logo and in the text, you have some really sharp, acute internal corners, mm -hmm. which is going to be more difficult to create with the CNC just because of how it works. And it might require that you buy some special tools that are a uh, longer length of cut, but super small diameter. And it might add considerable amount of time to machine just those little tight corners on their own and also program those little tight corners on their own. And so it would be really easy for you to say, uh, uh, I don't want those. And that's so, so common in manufacturing. And it ups the cost. If you're talking now about manufacturing for production, it upped the cost. So probably you're not going to do that. Whereas 3D printing, there's going to be situations where you do have to compromise, but they're fewer and more far between. And more or less with printing, you know what you, it can do. And that ends the conversation there, which is freeing in a lot of ways. It's just, it can do it or it can't. There are some things here and there where you can get creative and, and get the machine. Most people might not think it can do, but more or less, it's a plug and play type of technology that is capable of creating very ornate, intricate designs. So normally with the holidays, um, if I'm doing prints in the past, I've printed wishbones for Thanksgiving, which was kind of cool. Yeah. We've, we've done some, you know, standard size wishbones. I've also done oversized wishbones. I've done stainless steel wishbones that were unbendable <laughs> by all of us, which is kind of a fun way to end the Thanksgiving uh, holiday. I've done cookie cutters. I've done little ornaments. I don't have anything planned right now. Do you have anything planned? For 3D printing during the holidays? Yeah. Well, we had talked about doing the bone, the bone matrix versions of those wishbones. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that, huh? So might not be a bad idea to revisit that and kind of do 2.0. Well, we have less bone. than one week. And those would have to be printed in our Santa Clara office. Yep. You've got the model, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Let's we'll do that out. and we could talk about that. Um, our pod next week happens to fall on the holiday. So we might not do a pod until after Thanksgiving. Bummer because we missed last week too. I know. But I think we're on a roll here and so we'll start ready. This was a good conversation. Yeah. Well, and we got our new name. Works really well. Yeah. And uh, I like it. Go Additive Podcast. Yeah. We won't even tell you about the old name because <laughs> for all you know, it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Never did. <laughs> never will. It's in ancient podcast history. Right. All right. Good episode, man. Cool. Take care.